the blessedness of this hour continues to be certainly a great thing indeed. We've each been given the privilege, the opportunity, the blessing to come together again for another time on this Sunday as you and I reflect upon the Word of God, as we sing these praises together, as we join our thoughts and our considerations in prayer. What a particularly blessed time indeed it always is. Certainly tonight, as you reflect with me also, one or the other announcement I will bring before us, just a reminder of one that we had made mention of this morning. Let's also please uh, continue to, to pray for our upcoming gospel meeting and to make sure to clear our calendars and be ready for that. Four weeks from today, May the 7th through May the 10th, Glenn Colley will be again the, the person bringing the lessons, doing the speaking, and we're certainly honored that, that he's been able to clear the calendar and to come our way. As a little bit of additional information concerning that, this meeting was scheduled nine years ago. We scheduled this meeting in the spring of 2014. He was booked that far, and yet we were able, he, he put us on the calendar for this year, and amazing how fast nine years can pass, isn't it? But yet, he'll be with us. I believe our elders have made the, the, the observation that his wife will also be able to be with us during, a, uh, during that time as well. And I think she has made the offer or at least expressed an interest in conducting ladies' classes that may be available at some point during that time. I think there's some more scheduling to be worked out on those details, but certainly things to keep in mind as we look forward to our gospel meeting coming up May the 7th. Tonight, what about the book of Judges? in particular chapters 6 and 7. You may notice I've entitled the lesson something to do with God's victory through Gideon's army. In many ways, I could have easily entitled that through God's army since it was the children of Israel. But nonetheless, it's been interesting to see that development and we'll try to do that tonight beginning like this. I believe we'd all agree that there's something rather motivating and something very encouraging when a selected few who love the Lord and labor for His cause overwhelm and experience victory over a much larger numbered force. And isn't it true that that's something that happens several times in the nature of the Word of God? I've invited you to notice perhaps the scene in 1 Kings 18 as at least one example where there it was a lone prophet of God, namely Elijah, who understood victory over a much larger grouping of prophets of Baal. In 2 Kings 6, verses 13 and following, another memorable case in which a selected few, led by Elisha on that occasion, enjoyed victory over a much larger host. Aren't we told in the Bible that those who are with God, even though they may be in the physical minority, Nonetheless, they are those in the majority when they're with God. If God be for us, who could be against us? Those words of Romans 8 verse 31 may well prompt us to move forward in our lesson because tonight it's not the book of Romans that we will particularly consider. It will be rather the book of Judges. On this next slide, why don't we then step through the setting that is the case of chapter 6 and 7 and then we'll use the remainder of our time to look at a few lessons and applications that can be a blessing and a benefit to us as you and I strive to serve the Lord. Due to sin, the children of Israel found themselves in a very difficult set of circumstances as you and I come to the opening of Judges chapter 6. I've merely highlighted what you'll notice at the top of that slide, but God's people, due to what God allowed to happen to them, 
had come to dwell in caves. The enemy came and took away all the crops and the fruits of the benefits of their labor. They found themselves hiding in various places for fear of what these Midianites and others would do to them. God's people were having a very hard time. I might say following that, that God heard their pleas, however. God heard the cries that they had expressed in His direction. And He thus sent an angel. As you can see on that slide, this angel appeared to a gentleman named Gideon. It may be that you and I recall much about Gideon, but yet this particular scene starts in such a lovely and humble way. Gideon was threshing grain at this time for his father when this angel appeared to him. And the initial conversation was a rather amazing one, for Gideon quite frankly highlighted, Who am I? I am the least in my father's house. I'm not worthy to occupy this status that you are in fact directing in my way. Can't you and I notice that humility is always a highly prized matter when it comes to the things of God? Never exalting ourselves above the will of God, but always striving to humbly submit to what His will is. We find Gideon rather humbly stating the fact that if God be for us, why are we suffering and experiencing all these things that we are? It may well be in that light you'll notice near the bottom of that slide that Gideon first was rather hesitant. He wasn't interested in being a particular figure aiding God's people in overwhelming these Midianites. He had a bit of question as to how he could help in this way. Has there ever been a case in your life, or perhaps in mine, when there's a particular effort or work or program for the Lord, and maybe you and I may have wondered, how could we be a critical figure in helping this to be successful? How might we be able to use our talents to make it a matter of great usefulness? Well, you'll notice Gideon at first had some questions about how he could help. But you and I are quickly going to see he helped mightily. Let's close that slide like this. God encouraged Gideon. That angel did on that occasion by providing him a sign. And as that slide closes, might you and I be impressed with what Gideon did. Gideon's father had been an idolater. That is to say, Gideon's father was not faithful to the God of heaven. And yet Gideon, on that occasion, destroyed his daddy's idol. Now, you and I might give thought sometimes the opposition of family can be very strong. It may well be that they seem so forceful, and their viewpoint and their opinion may seem so overwhelming, especially when you go against your own parents. In this instance, Gideon tore down his father's altar during the course of the evening, and as you and I turn to the next slide, it even got worse. The following day, Gideon's father, in fact, came to recognize what his son had done, and he even defended what Gideon had done. But the people in the town were ready to put Gideon to death. You don't tear down somebody's idol without, at least in most instances, running into a few challenges and difficulties. And yet, you and I remember that upon the protection due from his own father, Gideon's life was spared. And we soon find the next matter on that slide. The children of Israel on this occasion were preparing for battle against a rather large-numbered host. They included Midianites, Amalekites, and the text says even various others of the east. We then are given this number. 
the enemy numbered 135,000. You might want to hold that number in mind. For in a moment, we'll ask how large was God's army that Gideon was over. Did it number 135,000? Let's see. Next on that slide. Moved and encouraged by the Spirit of God, Gideon assembled a rather large host, men from the various tribes I ask you to appreciate. These tribes of Asher, Zebulun, Manasseh, and Naphtali, and the number 32,000. Now, at this point, it may seem as if they were outnumbered four to one, but you and I might want to hold some of those features in mind, for the circumstance isn't yet completed. Four to one, at least so far. It's about this time when we read that Gideon desired a sign from God. It involved fleece, and it involved dew. In fact, it occurred on two consecutive nights. Gideon first made request that there be dew on fleece, but dry everywhere else. And then the very next night, it was exactly the reverse. And God addressed that request and answered it directly, providing in the matter of Gideon a strong confidence that God was with him. But now you and I observe that the lesson text that Brother Colonel read earlier was taken from Judges chapter 7, verse number 2. And again, that text reads, The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. God knew the hearts of the people of Israel. He understood exactly what they would think and how they would act and the kind of conclusions they would reach. And He knew that if they merely went into battle and God provided them victory, though they were outnumbered four to one, they would attribute the success to their efforts, to their skill, to their ability, and you see, to what they were able to accomplish. God said, the men are too many, Gideon. And in the verses that follow, God systematically reduced that number from 32,000 down to a much smaller number. I've invited you to notice on the slide some of the ways that that in fact was done. In the reduction of that army, the next slide in fact proceeds like this. God first said, tell all the men that are fearful that they have my permission to go back home. That took care of 10,000 of them. 10,000 of the men were fearful for their lives, fearful for the circumstances, or otherwise fearful for the matter of their own families. That left 22,000 that were now still able to go into, into, in fact, the battle. But then God had another reduction mechanism. By the way in which they would drink water, that number was now reduced from 22,000 down to a mere number of 300. 300. And so now Gideon's army was outnumbered 450 to 1. Does it sound as if that would be odds in your favor? Does it sound as if victory would be likely to be outnumbered 450 to 1? You and I probably are well aware of how this scenario develops and even how it turns out. But on that slide, could I point quickly the following observations? First, God ordered Gideon as yet another element of encouragement to him. He overheard a dream shared by one of the members of the opposition. And in that dream, it was an overwhelming victory 
for the people of God as a barley cake tumbled into the Midianite camp and overruled it or overran it. In the matter that followed, Gideon divided his troops, as the slide informs us, three, three particular companies, three battalions, and it was a brilliant strategy. Victory was complete. The very next setting that you and I encounter, God's people entered into that battle, and they enjoyed a tremendous victory, though outnumbered they were. I would think this ought to be a scene you and I could well remember. Even though a number may be so few compared to the many, if God is with that number, oh, what victory shall be theirs? What directness and what success will be theirs? What about applications of this? How might you and I use this in a daily walk of living to help us in our service to God in every case? First, would you be impressed with Gideon? I've entitled this merely Obeying God, but isn't it true that there are several episodes in this that could equally be mentioned and that perhaps rightly should be mentioned? I've selected a few of them. First, wouldn't you be noteworthy to appreciate with me that Gideon's father himself was an idolater? And here Gideon was, having been encouraged by the angel, and he in fact tore down that which belonged to his father and that which the citizens of the town highly respected and prized. That took courage. That took a great deal, you see, of determination. May I use that to encourage each of us to be people of determination. In the midst so often of opposition, sometimes the devil's entourage can seem so mighty. The temptation can seem so fierce. And yet Gideon, not only, you see, in the matter concerning the idol that his father had constructed, but you notice in other ways, when he was told to go into battle, he did it, though he was outnumbered. What if you had been the general in that army? What if you had been the person in charge of looking out and seeing an army of 135,000 and all you had was 300 men? Would you feel comfortable? Would you feel as if the victory was a guaranteed certainty? My suspicion is you and I would be tempted to look through the eyes of humanity into the numbers as you and I would ordinarily see it. And we probably would be overwhelmed with skepticism, perhaps gripped by fear, and maybe be unwilling to do that which God said. I think Gideon's a tremendous example on that occasion, wouldn't you say? One who followed God even though the odds appeared against him, even though the numbers seemed overwhelmingly not in his favor. On that slide I've asked you to note, isn't it true that the Word of God promises to you and me things like this in Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned to you obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. If you and I have arrived at any particular age in life that's more than extremely young, we know that there are going to be moments when obeying God is going to be hard. There are moments that are uncomfortable. There are those who side so strongly with the things that are not right in God's side, and to stand up for truth can require a fair amount of courage. You know that there will be others who likely will take things in a very different way and may well heap insult and harm and in other ways emotional distress. But yet as those who serve the Lord, 
you and I, like Gideon, can appreciate that greater is he that is with us than he that is with them. That's the very text we read in 2 Kings 6. One last thing on that slide might then be this one. In the closing chapter in all of God's wonderful book, in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. To enter into the city requires of us that we longingly obey those commandments. But what about lesson two? Not only the matter of, way of obeying God even with courage, but could I also add in a thought of confidence, assurance, isn't it true that we also see that in light of some of these episodes in the matter concerning Gideon? Gideon's faithfulness and his request. Do you remember he asked something about the fleece? And then the next night he changed that and asked for something distinct? He had enough confidence that he could ask God for something. What about your prayer life and mine? I know that we're comfortable asking God for things that look obvious, for things that look not that challenging or difficult, but how quick are you and me to ask of God things that on the face look to be extremely difficult, if not nearly impossible? Oh, I hope we don't put God in a box that way. For didn't Jesus say it like this in Matthew nineteen twenty six? With God, all things are possible. There may be things in your life or mine which, again, have appeared not only unlikely, but maybe even extremely near impossible. And yet, have you and I prayed for it? Having confidence and belief? Because didn't Jesus say that that man that has any doubt, let him not think he'll receive anything of the Lord. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Our request of God then should be something that is built upon the confidence that we have in Him. Our God is big enough, powerful enough, Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, able and strong enough under the banner of texts such as those we noted, He can bring about anything consistent with His will. About the middle of that slide, isn't it true that the Hebrew children were a dramatic example of this truth? The scene before us in Daniel chapter 3 is an unforgettable one. Those that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves under the duress of the threat of a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had in essence caught them. There were others who, in fact, snitched on them. Well, these guys aren't bowing down. When the music plays, they're not bowing and honoring this idol king that you have constructed. And when that word was brought to Nebuchadnezzar, in fairness, he did question them. Is it true? You haven't been bowing down. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll give you one more chance. When the music plays, if you'll bow down, I'll forget everything. Everything will be fine. But if you don't, there's a fiery furnace awaiting. And I think you know what's going to happen. Those three responded like this. King... We want you to know that we serve the God of heaven and He is able to deliver us. But if He chooses not to, we're not bowing down to your image. That took courage and that took confidence. 
recognizing that they were in the careful confines of the protection of God, whether or not He chose to deliver them from that fiery furnace or not. It turns out that they were cast into that fiery furnace. The king did what he said he would. But isn't it amazing that when he looked in there, he saw not three, but there was another whose image appeared like unto the Son of Man. You and I recognize well who that other one was. But they were brought out of that fiery furnace, and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Our God delivered them. Their God delivered them. And you and I worship the same God they did. Isn't that an encouraging record? A truthful episode in Daniel chapter number 3. As you close that slide with me, we've just learned a second lesson. May our confidence in God be sufficiently strong in Him that we're willing to trust even in matters that look near impossible to us. What about lesson three? In addition to these lessons so far, let's give a bit of emphasis to the victory that Gideon and his forces enjoyed, though again they were outnumbered so much. 450 to 1. And yet they enjoyed the victory described for us in the seventh chapter of the book of Judges. Isn't it true? God's followers, they're always going to know that victory. I know the world will heap an extreme amount of doubt upon us and may well cause our mind to languish under the banner of fear and doubt and questioning. But we must be impressed with what God did in the days of Gideon, what He did in the days of Elijah, what He did in the days of Joshua and Caleb, what He has done in so many other occasions as well. On that slide, I mentioned several verses. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, God's people are always led in triumph in Christ. In that famous text seen in Romans 8, 31, I mentioned it already in the lesson tonight, but it might be well to highlight it again. Romans, the 8th chapter, is surely one of the most noteworthy and powerful texts in all the New Testament. Some would regard it as one of the highlighted 289 chapters of the New Testament. I would at least say this. Among the chapters you and I encounter in the New Testament, that one sets before us not only an array of blessings available from God, but also an array of promises that He has made and an array of opportunities from us to appreciate what God has done. And in the midst of all of it, we read, If God be for us, who can be against us? In fact, to highlight just how strong that thought is, you may notice beginning in verse 35, Paul makes these statements to the Roman brethren, and he highlights in their observation things that read like this. He speaks about some of the enemies, some of the opposition that you and I do face. Things like distress, famine, persecution, nakedness, peril, or sword. But then he says this, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul highlighted there is nothing, any external agency, that is able to separate you and me from the love of Christ. May I point out that in reality there's only one force that can do it, and it's us. 
I can choose to separate myself from Him because God won't force His love upon you or me. He won't force His, salva- His saving power upon us. I can choose to remain distant from it, but there's no other force that can do it, not even the devil. That ought to be a great deal of comfort to us and a powerful note of victory as well. As you and I rest upon the victory from God, what about lesson number four? This fourth lesson directs our attention toward the matter of leadership. Aren't we thankful for appropriate leadership and leadership as it's presented in a faithful and godly way in the Word of God? I know how thankful we all are for godly leaders in various regions and realms of life in which they appear. Would you reconsider Gideon? I know we've thought about it more than once, but to oppose one's father, especially in a patriarchal age, an age wherein the word of the father was often an extremely vital and essential and sourceful matter, Gideon opposed what dad stood for. You and I notice in many instances today, that is not oft occurring. We love our parents, and we honor them, we respect them, we value them. And sometimes that goes generations back even further. But as you would consider leadership with me, we must be impressed with not only that decision that Gideon made, but also the way in which he, on a regular basis, gave the people tasks and effort and work to do in deference to the work of God. People do better when they have things to do, don't they? when they have useful work directed toward the accomplishment of a task or goal that's beneficial to a larger group. Gideon understood that. In that text before you in Judges 7 verses 15 and following, Gideon, upon his selection by God as the leader in this time, he delegated particular tasks. He gave them works and useful ones at that. You and I could be blessed as we too reflect upon the vitality connected with that kind of effort and activity. Today, you and I could easily think about the particular application of elders in light of the church in this way. Men who oversee our efforts, who direct our tasks and activities, and who oversee this local congregation of the Lord's people. Those qualified men are such that not only in meeting those qualifications, but they carry out their duties as they are interested in the salvation of our souls and the carrying forth of the cause of God in this place. It's a sweet thing to reflect upon how God so wonderfully not only authorizes authority, but equips it appropriately with the ways to carry out that which would be God's bidding. Let's conclude our lesson like this. So far tonight, as we have looked at these issues, taking us back to the days of Gideon, I suppose one of the main things we remember about that was the victory of the 300 over the 135,000. And that certainly is a worthwhile reflection because it reminds us of the things we've learned tonight. Gideon's obedience, which is a model for our own. The issue connected to the confidence that he had in God, which is a powerful motivation for our confidence. Do you trust the Lord? Do you absolutely believe that His Word is that which He claims that it is and that you place Him as priority number one? We read in Matthew 6, verse 33, 
wherein the Lord said, that is, we follow Him, we must put His kingdom first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you and I will do that, placing His kingdom first and our dedication to Him, we will enjoy the final things on this slide. Ultimate victory in all the particulars and the details of life, followed by our blessed following of the leadership of God. We can look forward to heaven that way. Look forward to the sweetness of that realm wherein there shall be no sin, nothing that would tarnish or defile or mar. In fact, as it's described that way in Revelation 21, 27, I suppose it's one final reminder that the days of Gideon have been preserved for us so that we can learn much from it and be blessed by it. It might be tonight that as you and I examine ourselves whether we be in the faith, to borrow the wording of 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it may be we need to make some changes. Would you encourage and be reminded there were some things Gideon needed to at least redirect, but he did it because it was the thing that was what God wanted. When you and I make those changes in life, it's not just because somebody on earth might want us to. It's because we want to. And God wants us to. And we want to please Him. Gideon and the victory that was had by that army. If you would like to be numbered amongst those victorious over the massive number that is the entourage of the devil, we need to be on the Lord's side. Who is on the Lord's side? There's a song in our book. Who is on the Lord's side? Master, here am I. May that be our answer. May we have the kind of excitement and readiness to respond that we are on the Lord's side. If tonight you find yourself not as fully on the Lord's side as you might want, then isn't it true Jesus said, He that's not with me scatters abroad. He's against me. Matthew 12, verse 30. Tonight, you could be fact have your name put back on the Lord's side if we could be of some assistance and some help tonight we'd wish to do that we'd love to do that the Lord's invitation is this if you've never become a Christian won't you believe in the Lord repent of your sins confess his name and be baptized if you have known that way of life and have chosen perhaps recently to walk in a different direction won't you come back to your first love Remember Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who could be against us? And if we can help you tonight as you make observation of your repentance and confession, we would love to celebrate with you and welcome you home. And we'd love to do that while together we stand and while we sing the chosen song.